Amen. I have a friend who, uh, many of you know him, probably John Shodine. What does John Shodine say when you ask him how he's doing? Anyone know? What's that? Is that what he says? Oh, well, you just ruined it. No, I know. When he went, no, no, I'm just kidding. When I ask him how he's doing, he always says, living the dream, right? Doesn't he? I say, really? You're living the dream? He's like, yeah, the dream can be a nightmare, too. That's what he says. But he always says, living the dream, bro. Living the dream. And um, that's something we talk about. That's a saying in our culture, right? To live the dream. And to, um, and what we mean by that is to uh, pursue something that's bigger than ourselves. And usually there's a lot of dreams out there cast for us. What we should pursue, how we should order our lives, the values we should live by, the lifestyle we should live. And we're pursuing this dream. So there's a one really popular in our culture called the American dream, right? And um, I don't know exactly the intentions of the American dream from the beginning, but I know what it's become, in my opinion. The American dream has really turned into an individual pursuit of, of material wealth and comfort and um, pursuing and independence so that you can be kind of a lone ranger, independent, have what you need and be comfortable early as retire, early, uh, retire as early as possible with as much as possible. That's kind of the American dream as I understand it. Um, there's a lot of other dreams that cast a vision for the way our life should be. There's the, the dream of the liberals. There's the dream of the conservatives. There's the dream of the socialists. There's the dream of the communists. There's the dream of the libertarians. And each of them casts forth a vision for the way the world should work, the way the world should be. And then have we, we are to order our lives according to that vision, that dream. So when we say live in the dream, that can mean a lot of different things. What I want to do uh, this morning and what I want to challenge us to do is to live the dream, to live the kingdom dream, to live the Jesus dream, to live the upside down dream of the kingdom. See, the kingdom dream for the world is often at odds for all these other dreams that are cast for us. And the kingdom dream actually subverts these competing dreams that are cast before us. And it's often called the upside-down kingdom, or you call it the upside-down dream, because it's upside-down from what we are usually kind of called into and to value as a people. We are called to pursue, let's say, the American dream, and so then we order our lives accordingly And I believe the kingdom of God, the dream, God's dream for the world, runs often counter to that and is upside down from that. We began to see that last week, right? With the beginning of his, what we would call his kingdom manifesto, his his most concentrating teaching of Jesus calling us into a way of life that is under the reign of God in a way that we can reflect the reign of God and bring it to bear on earth, even now, right? And into the future. So, the kingdom dream. So, I want us to dream together this, this morning. Because this kingdom dream is revolutionary. The kingdom dream runs counter, like I said, to everything 
that we're taught to value. The kingdom dream says there is blessing for the oppressed and for the oppressor. There is blessing available for the abused and for the abuser. There is blessing available for the victim and the victimizer. And that is unheard of. That's upside down. We talked about last week the availability of the kingdom for all. Right? And that Jesus pronounces this short list. Right? Who's on the top of his guest list? And it's not that others are excluded that aren't on this list. This isn't all in, this isn't an all-inclusive list, but this is a revolutionary upside-down list that turns our worlds upside down and teaches us who and to whom this invitation of kingdom living and blessing is available to. It's the poor in spirit. It's those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. It's the meek, and they will inherit the earth. It's those who strive for peace and are peacemakers, and they will be called children of God. It's those who are persecuted. So this is an upside-down vision and dream for the world. And Jesus invites us into a lifestyle that takes this dream seriously. Dirk Williams, I don't know if you've heard of him. He lived in the 16th century. He's someone who was saturated by the teachings of Jesus and by the upside-down way of life that he was called into. Dirk Williams lived in the 16th century, 17th century. He's an Anabaptist. Around the time of the Reformation, he's part of the Radical Reformation, is what they would call it. And he was in prison. He was in this dungeon, kind of this tower. So not really a dungeon. I guess dungeons are underground. This is an above-ground dungeon, like a tower. And uh, it was surrounded by this moat. True story. And he is scheduled for execution. Why is he in prison and why is he going to be put to death? Because he believed that uh, people should be rebaptized, not rebaptized, but baptized as believers, not as, infant ba- as infants. So he believed the scriptures taught that. And he took the teachings of Jesus very seriously. Uh, and he believed that Jesus prescribed nonviolence and separation from the church as the state, right? And so he's taking a strong stand. So who put him in prison? Well, other Followers of Jesus. And they were going to kill him for his beliefs. So you, you decide who's following who. But he's in prison. He's in this tower and he has an opportunity to, to escape. He seizes opportunity. He seizes it. He jumps out the window or come, calls down from bed sheets or whatever, however he did it. And he starts running across this frozen moat. It was in the dead of winter. And the, the, the moat, the water, the ice could hold him because he had been starved for weeks. And so he was thin, so the ice could bear his weight. The ice could not bear the weight of his pursuer, however. The guard who saw him take off across the moat, and so the guard started chasing him. Dirk looks back and he sees him being pursued. He's almost at the edge of the moat when he hears and notices that his pursuer has fallen through the ice. His enemy, the one who wants to put him to death, So Dirk has a decision to make. Is he going to bolt for it and see it as an opportunity to escape with his life? Or is he going to turn back 
and follow what he believes the teaching of Jesus to be, to love his enemy, to pray for those who persecute him, and to love the very person that hates him. He makes the decision. He turns back around. He helps the guy up. There's a picture of this. I don't know if this is like a in real time picture. He turns around. He grabs the guy's hands and he pulls him out of the ice only to be arrested, taken back to the tower and executed weeks later. So Dirk Williams is living the dream. All right? He's living an upside down version of the dream that the kingdom of God provides. He sees this world painted by Jesus that is upside down from the values and the perspective and the dreams offered to him by others. And he says, I'm going to live by this kingdom dream. I'm going to love my enemy, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's harmful to me. I want to walk through the Beatitudes a little bit in more detail. We're going to go quick. We might not get to all of them, but we'll get the idea. We looked last week. The Beatitudes are Jesus' guest list, like I already mentioned. And this guest list is for the least likely of people. He's saying, those who you expect not to be blessed are definitely blessed in my kingdom. If they will enter into my kingdom, if they will come underneath my rule and my reign and follow me and follow my way, they will be blessed. Right? It's for the least, it's for the last, it's for the lost, it's for the left out, it's for the left behind. And everyone is amazed at this. So first, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, we already know that one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This means, and the parallel passage in Luke, well, I don't know if it's parallel, but Luke says the poor, no, doesn't say in spirit, just says the poor. But the poor in spirit literally means the poor in spirit. The poor financially, the poor physically, the poor emotionally, the poor mentally, the poor those crushed under the weights of the world and the brokenness and the pain, the poor. This is the least, the last, the lost, the left out, the left behind. And Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom. Present tense. Theirs is the kingdom. God's heart is for the least, the last, the lost, the left behind. God's heart throughout the Old Testament is shown to be what they call scholars call the quartet of the vulnerable. Four groups of people constantly identified over a hundred times by God to be close to his heart. God constantly advocating for the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, or the stranger, and the poor. The quartet of the vulnerable. Over a hundred times, God, in those four groups of those categories of people identified as near and dear to the heart of God. And God calls His people. We say God's kingdom is reflected through God's people. He calls him His people to value and to honor 
and to extend and acknowledge the dignity and worth of these people. So the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's a quote. If we ask what it means to seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. A quick look at scripture will reveal the answer. In almost every instance where the phrase, the kingdom of God, is used in the New Testament, it appears in connection with outreach to the poor, the dispossessed, the sick, the blind, and those in prison. The kingdom of God, therefore, is that realm in which God and those who have pledged allegiance to God, that's all of us, hopefully, at least you're invited to that, reach out to those in greatest need. So when we talk about the kingdom of God is God's reign reflected through God's people, realized on God's earth, we are talking about a people pledging allegiance to God and to God alone and valuing and honoring and extending blessing to the very people that God values, blesses, and honors. We learn that as everyone. Next, the blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. People in Jesus' day mourn and weep, right? Just like they did today. But remember I said last week, and I actually was wrong, because I checked it. It is estimated that the lifespan of first century Palestinians in Jesus' day, I said live to their mid-30s, the life expectancy. It's actually their mid-20s. Life expectancy, the average life expectancy. A third of infants died before the children, died before the age of six. This is Jesus' day. This is the context into which Jesus comes. Remember what happens when Jesus is born and the wise men go searching. They're going, they're following the star and Herod finds out about this. They're like, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm the king of the Jews. What are you talking about? There's no rival kings. And they're like, well, we just, we're following the prophecy. We're following the stars. We're going to go find this king. Herod doesn't like that. What has he ordered done? The murder, the slaughter of every infant two years and younger, every infant boy. So imagine in Jesus' crowd, parents who had had their sons murdered, looking at Jesus and saying, my son would have been about that age. My son would be this age by now. And that mourning and that loss and that weight that of that is a result of this oppression, that is a result of occupation, that is a result of lack. Jesus is speaking into this context, and he says, Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now the word meek is virtually synonymous with poor. It kind of nuances it a a bit. The meek are those who have nothing to hold on to but their hope in God. Like it's their last resort. Now meekness was not valued in Roman culture and is not valued in our culture. But what we tend to equate it with is weakness. right? Meekness as weakness. But meekness is not weakness. Meekness, as some have said, is power under control. And really, another scholar, Glenn Stassen, says that meekness is one's will submitted to God's will alone. 
So it's strength submitted to the will of God. It's basically doing things the way that God would have them done, even when it doesn't make sense. Let's revisit Dirk, right? Dirk, practicality, pragmatically, you're saying, sweet, my enemy fell on the ice, I'm out. Jesus' little voice in his head goes, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He's like, oh man, perhaps I should turn back. That doesn't make sense. What is, wasn't God like saving my rear here? Maybe, no. And he chooses to go against his, to the, 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 the common sense and follows Jesus. It's upside down. And this happens all the time. See, meekness is turning the other cheek even when I'm strong enough to pound the guy who just hit me. It doesn't make sense. Meekness is a guy like Martin Luther King Jr. Constantly, he, it's, meekness is not weakness, right? It's not just a door, it's not being a doormat. It's not saying, okay, oppress us, beat me up, enslave us, corner us off here, put us in jail, whip us and beat us. It's not saying that. It's resisting power. It's resisting the powers. But it's not the way of the world. He says love. We will resist with love. We will resist in peaceful protest. And that was his battle cry. Have you ever seen anything about MLK? He's constantly trying to convince and plead with people, don't resort to violence. Don't resort to the weapons of the world. We can do this. And so it didn't make sense. And people, you've seen videos of them unleashing dogs and unleashing fire hoses on them and staying strong and resisting with love and strength. That's what meekness looks like. Blessing is for the meek who have nothing to hope in but God. And they trust God. And what does it say? The meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the land. Not by force, but by the way of Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be saved. We talked about righteousness, merciful. Oh, I don't know where I am. Merciful. We'll talk about merciful. Actually, I'm going to do a hunger and thirst for righteousness real quick. This means what it says. And we talked about righteousness a few weeks ago. Righteousness is the, the, the longing, is right relationship with God, right relationship with others, right relationship with creation. It's about right relationship. It's not just about individual, internal, personal piety, but it is about desiring to see wrong things be made right. That people be restored in relationship with God. That people who are at odds with one another, fighting one another, killing one another, are at peace. You're sh- so righteousness is, is right relationship with God, with others, with creation. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for wrong things to be made right. Blessed are those who actually literally feel the hunger pains that are the result of injustice and inequality. And, and they realize also that these are just, these are, they really feel hunger, but these are also symptoms, their hunger pains are symptoms of the underlying problem of injustice and oppression. 
that they are experiencing and that others experience around the world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for wrong things to be made right. For they will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. D.A. Carson says that mercy responds to the miserable. Pretty easy, right? I would, I don't know if I came up with this, all good poets steal, right? And I'm not even a good poet. But mercy, I would say, is compassion in action. Compassion in action. So that when you, mercy is actually meeting the misery and intersecting your life. It's taking a step towards the misery and the miserable all around you. And so Jesus is our greatest model of all of these uh, beatitudes. But we see that Jesus had compassion on us. God had compassion on us in our miserable condition, lost and in bondage to sin, following the ways of evil and of Satan. And he, he says, I'm going to not only feel bad for you, have compassion, but I am going to have mercy and take a step, take action. It's compassion and action. I'm going to leave everything, suffer for your sake, take on your identity, and free you from your misery. That's what mercy looks like. So a guy named David Lipscomb. Lipscomb, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. He's got a university named after him in Tennessee. This guy was around in uh, shortly after the Civil War. He lived during the Civil War. He refused to fight in the Civil War, not because he was pro-slavery, far from it, but because he didn't uh, believe in, in um, violence. And so he advocated for the release of slavery and other release of slaves in other ways. But after the Civil War... He lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and in 1873, there was a cholera epidemic, this horrible disease that just takes your life, this plague, this is wiped out Nashville. In one month, the month of June in 1873, 500 people died of cholera. And so anyone who had the means to flee, fled. Anyone who had the resources to get out of town, got out of town. And who are typically those people in post-Civil War era? They're people that have the means, that weren't just in slavery. So as typically happens, and as happened in, with Katrina and other poor communities when there's natural disasters, the poor and um, African Americans and minorities feel the full weight and absorb most of the um, impact of horrific things like this. And so the people didn't have the resources to leave, so these African American communities we're feeling the full weight and force of this epidemic. And David Lipscomb said, I'm not leaving. And he encourages other um, fellow Christians not to leave either. He said this. And I should say, I don't have his quote up here. No, I don't. Oh, well. I'll read it to you real quick. He says, it is time that should call, this is a time that should call out the full courage and energy of the church in looking after the needy. He said, Every individual, black or white, that dies from neglect and want of proper food and nursing is a reproach 
to the professors of the Christian religion in the vicinity of Nashville. And he chose to stay when everyone else left. And he went into homes of, of the poor and of African Americans and those who were supposed to be his enemy. And he, 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 he cared for them. Again, upside down. Get out. Save yourself. No, he ran in to, the, to this situation and he cared for those that were miserable. That's a mercy. One last example I'm going to give. I'm going to skip ahead to those who, who are peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, sons of God, and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See, the Beatitudes end with, their, remember their book ended, the first says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heaven, is the kingdom of heaven, and the last, the eighth Beatitude, is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. What this says is called an inclusio. It's bookends. It says everything in between has to do with the kingdom. But there's this present and future sense to the beatitude, to these blessings, to entrance into the kingdom. And I, the men, that, the people that I've highlighted so far understood the, the inbreaking and the present reality of the kingdom of God breaking into time and space. Just like I said last week, remember? If this is history... This is the beginning of time, and this is the end of time as we know it. Jesus comes, and heaven, the kingdom of heaven, enters into time and space and overlaps this present age of what the Bible calls darkness, the the, the era of the flesh, the, the, the effects of sin and death. And the kingdom of God inserts itself, breaks in, and Jesus says, the time is at hand, it is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Good news, the kingdom has come. And so there's an overlapping to this where it extends beyond present time and space, but it is also overlapping. And so the guy, Dirk Willems, MLK Jr., uh, David Lipscomb, And the man I'm about to mention, Clarence Jordan, all understood this overlapping nature of the kingdom of God. And they understand it in their life. That their life is not about saying yes to Jesus. If they're born here and their life ends here, it's not about saying yes to Jesus, so therefore I am good from my death on into eternity. Eternity shoots into their life and they have the opportunity to begin to live everlasting life now. They live the values of God's kingdom now. They can begin to experience the blessings of God's kingdom now. And not only to experience the blessings, but to reflect them and to share them with others. This is what they realize. This is what the Beatitudes call us to. So, blessed are those, are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Clarence Jordan. How many of you have heard of Clarence Jordan? No. Oh, man. He, he, there's a book called The Cotton Patch or Cotton Work Gospel, I think it's called. This man lived in the, at the height of the civil rights movement before even during um, segregation and extreme racism in the Deep South. He grew up singing in church. Jesus loves the little children. 
children, right? All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white and brown, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And he sang that. And then one day, as he grew up into a man, he heard a black man being beaten because of the color of his skin. And he heard him crying out, and he realized that the person doing the beating was the guy that was singing in the church choir that same morning about Jesus' love. And he said, this isn't right. And he hungered and thirsted for righteousness. And he realized, wait a minute, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn because they're going to be comforted. Blessed are those who are merciful for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the land. And so what he did was he started a farm called Koinonia Farm and he invited black and white to live together and to grow food together and to care for one another and to live together and to share their resources together. It was crazy. And so they started this community and they had barns and fields and land. And of course, when you pursue a kingdom life and when you try to reflect the reign of God in the world, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be persecution. It goes against the culture. And so people would drive by and shoot into their houses with rifles and people would light their fields on fire and light their barns on fire and, and light crosses in, in front of their property. And so Clarence Jordan said, no, we're going to fight this. We're going to fight this. And he goes to his brother, who was a prominent lawyer at the time in the Deep South. And this is a conversation he has asking him to represent them and to fight this because it was wrong. And he asked, will you represent? And this is what he said, Clarence, I can't do that. You know my political aspirations. Why, if I represented you, I might lose my job, my house, everything I've got. Clarence says, we might lose everything too, Bob. It's different for you. Why is it different? I remember it seems to me that you and I joined the church the same Sunday as boys. I expect when we came forward, the preacher asked me about the same question he asked you. He asked me, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes. What did you say? I follow Jesus, Clarence, up to a point. Could that point by any chance be the cross? That's right. I follow him to the cross, but not on the cross. I'm not getting myself crucified. Clarence said, then I don't believe you're a disciple. You're an admirer of Jesus, but not a disciple of his. I think you ought to go back to the church you belong to and tell them you're an admirer, not a disciple. Well now, Bob said, if everyone who felt like like I do, did that, we wouldn't have a church, would we? The kingdom of God is an upside-down dream for the world. And it's a good dream. It's a blessed dream. It's an invitation for all, rich and poor, black and white, all people, 
Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every individual made in the image of God to receive the blessing of life in God's kingdom that begins now. And that's what we're inviting people into, and that's what you've been invited into. Now, listen to this. God's reign reflected through God's people. We do not, this is not a list of requirements to get in to the kingdom. Please hear that. Did you hear that? Everyone awake. I did not just lay out a list of requirements or performance review to enter the kingdom of God. We are a reflection of the kingdom of God. And we reflect, we have received the blessings unconditionally from based solely on the love and grace and mercy of God on us in our miserable condition. And when we, ref- we have this opportunity not only to experience the blessings of the kingdom of God underneath His reign, but to also share the blessings that we have received. Because God invites us into this life together. The good news is about not only salvation from hell, but life lived on mission with Him that lives on into eternity. So this is the invitation that we've been extended. The kingdom of God is God's reign in and through King Jesus, reflected through God's people, submitted to Jesus, realized on God's earth, already and not yet. But it begins now. That's what we've been called to. And the more that, what's true of something that reflects? A mirror, if you point it to the sun, you get a beam. If you point it in the dark, is there a beam? It doesn't generate its own light. The only way we are true reflections of the kingdom of God, the only way we share the warmth and the blessing and the glory of the kingdom is by pointing our lives and our minds and our hearts directly at the, in the face of Jesus and receiving from His life and reflecting that to the world. We don't, it's not, its origin is not from us. It is from God from His life, from the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're being invited to. That's what we're inviting others into. And that's what, as we live together, and we live this rhythm of life together, this is what we desire to reflect. So when we share our gratitude and we worship, we are reflecting to the world the worthiness of Jesus. And when they see us ascribe the honor and worth He is due, they say, wow, something must be worthy. Someone must be worthy. When we live a life that includes the orphan and the widow and the poor, then we reflect the magnitude and grace and mercy of the kingdom of God. And the world says, whoa, this God, this kingdom is is amazing. It's full of blessing. And they want to be a part of it. And they want to enter into it now. And so the next... Next week, we go into our, our week of service, and the next week, it's intentional rest, because if we're going to live this life, remember, we have to be led into the quiet waters, the green pastures and quiet waters, to be led into the paths of righteousness that lead to the valley of the shadow of death. So, in the fifth Sunday, we're going to rest intentionally. We don't want to fall into rest, but we want to intentionally go to rest, so that we can be restored and pour ourselves out. So, after that, When we come back, we're going to start looking really closely at the gospel, the good news. And I think it 
Um, what are we sharing? What are we inviting people into? Um, we've talked about the kingdom. I believe the kingdom is very much the gospel. We're going to talk about the gospel. And it's going to be good. And so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good. You're good all the time. And you love us and you pursue us. And your blessing has been extended to us. Your invitation is to all of us and to all of our neighbors and to everyone in our life, even the most despised. And we just ask that you would move by your Spirit, Holy Spirit, move in us and in others to come underneath your reign, to share in the blessings of your kingdom and to reflect them outward, Lord, so that we can begin to live in your kingdom even now. Help us, God. We, are, we, we need you. We're poor, weak, and frail. We're people of little faith, but we know that you will move in us. In Jesus' name. Lord, we also ask for this food that we will share today. God, may it nourish us. And may our fellowship nourish and encourage us. Amen. 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 Let's tear down the... Tear down and set up.